Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. But I'm glad to be speaking today. This is a great day. Jenna, thank you for sharing. Uh, Really good. I feel like I should just sit down and we can go into worship and Jenna preach the message today. Uh, But we are continuing our series on seeing Jesus where we're looking at Jesus' stories through all the gospels. So today, if you have your Bible, if you're at home, grab your Bible or your phone, whatever you're using for your Bible, and turn with me to John 2. Uh, This past summer, end of summer, I went to Cape May with my family like I always do. Uh, Jesse makes fun of me because Cape May is my favorite place, and I told you before, if I have one place I really love, I'm always going there and never going anywhere else, and nothing else can top that place. So go to Cape May. It's awesome. Go to Out There Coffee and grab a coffee and say, Ben sent me. They don't know who I am, but say, Ben sent me. Uh, But this was the first year Liam was sort of older enough to realize, like, the beach. Like, he was one and a half, and uh, the first day we walk out, and uh, Emma's been to the beach countless times. We walk out, put Emma or put Liam down by the water, and the waves are crashing in. And every time the wave crashed, this way he did. Wow. Wow. And he just kept saying it like he was completely blown away about what was happening. And that's the book of John to me. I love John. It's a different gospel, but John is based on the signs of Jesus. John bases his whole book on signs, what Jesus did for us to go, wow, Jesus is the Christ. It's an oddball gospel. It doesn't really line up with the rest of them. Uh, no one actually knows when it was written. John could have written this at the end of his life. No one really knows. Uh, but this is my favorite gospel. If you know me, if you've come into an encounter with me and you say, where do I start reading the Bible, Ben? I say, go to the gospel of John. Uh, because it's the simplest to understand, but it also has so much deep, uh, we're going to learn this story, there's so much deeper meaning in John that if you actually dive into it, you're like, wow, this is like an escape room today. There are clues. We're trying to get out. It's awesome. And uh, I love it. So John focuses on signs of Jesus. And we're uh, reading today about the first sign. This is the first thing John records about Jesus. And it's not in any other gospel, because if you read in John, the other writers of the gospels weren't Jesus' disciples at the time. John was the one who was there. So this is why it's not in any other gospel. This is why John is the only one recording. And so let's read uh, John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So what's the big deal? I've been to plenty of dry weddings because I'm a Christian and that's all I usually have. Uh, So what's the big deal about wine running out, right? Anyone else thinking like, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But back then, weddings were way different than they are now. Way different. It was usually a week-long feast. Can we bring that back? I wouldn't turn down any wedding. Any wedding, if they're like, hey, it's a week-long feast. I don't care if I don't like you. I'm going. Uh, but they would invite the whole town. And in this case, they invited some surrounding towns. Because Jesus was there. He's from Nazareth. It was a close town. And Jesus' disciples got to go, and Mary was there as well. And it's funny, John never names Mary in his gospel, because John takes care of Mary afterwards. I don't know if it's a protective thing. It's just an interesting fact. John will never say Mary, Jesus' mother, because Jesus entrusts 
Mary to John. It's just the thing I learned in this. I was like, well, that's interesting. But so they're all there. And a ceremony back then, you had a ceremony. And then you had a very awkward thing, which I don't want them to bring back today, where they would consummate the marriage before the feast. They'd like have a tent outside, and everyone would be waiting to eat, and they're consummating the marriage. So let's not bring that back today. Uh, awkward times back then. Uh, but then the feast started. And in that culture, running out of wine in a shame and honor culture, in this, this huge feast where everyone's inviting, that'll bring a lot of dishonor to your family. Now, uh, whoever's married here, imagine this. This is actually the groom's job to get the wine. So on your wedding night, imagine having to face your wife. And she's like, I thought you got enough wine. And you're like, I don't know. And I can just picture my wife yelling at me because that's the thing I, I would screw up, right? Ben, you didn't get enough wine? No, I didn't. And imagine that hanging over your marriage. But also it had implications after your marriage. Because people would talk, hey, that's the bride and groom that ran out of wine on us. Let's not go to their house. Let's not hang out with them. It was in a shame and honor culture that had implications. So wine running out was a big thing. So when the rumors started to spread, Mary catches wind of it and goes to Jesus and tells him, hey, the wine's out. So let's keep reading today. Starting at verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. We got to pause there because that sounds really harsh from Jesus, right? Kids, today when your mom tells you to do something, I challenge you <laughs> to say, woman, what does it have to do with me? My mom would have slapped me across the face, right? She would have, she would have smacked me. That's not how we address people. But back then, and then the better translation of this is him actually saying mother, that was actually an honoring word back there, woman. When we see that, we picture ourselves today going, woman? That is not how it's supposed to be. So don't go home. Don't do that to your parents. Don't respond that way. Uh, but I love how I sort of have a shared experience with Jesus. Anyone else as a kid, uh, your parents used to volunteer you for stuff all the time without you knowing? Jesus has had that happen to him. I love that, that we have a sort of shared experience where my parents used to do that to me. Like, hey, Ben, we volunteered to do a push mow this lady's 100-acre property tomorrow. What? You volunteered me? Uh, and so I love that we see that happening in Jesus as well. Uh, but let's keep reading. So what happens here? Now, there are six stone water jars there for the Jew Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And I love this about Jesus. Who does he display his miracle to? This just shows how the kingdom is so backwards. The servants. The only people who knew about it was disciples, Mary, and the servants. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, let's call everyone here, especially the bridegroom, he screwed up, and let me turn this water into wine like a magic trick. Uh, but I love this, that Jesus willingly does this. And to go back to Jesus' harsh words, most people actually today think, and from what I understand of Jesus, because there's an odd thing here, he says, Mary, what does this have to do with me? And then Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That seems like a really harsh 
way to handle Mary. And it also seems that Mary doesn't care that Jesus has told her. The actual better way to read this phrase from Jesus is, mother, what's this to do with us? Like, what's, we can handle this because I have nothing else to do. My time has not yet come. I have no other journey to do. So Jesus isn't being harsh there. That's why Mary understands him and says, go tell the servants that to do whatever he tells him. He's actually saying, what's this to us? We can do this. My time has not yet come. I got nothing else to do. Let's do this. This is not harsh Jesus. For so many years, I read this as harsh Jesus. And if you actually, it makes no sense that Mary would just disobey him and say, do whatever he tells you to do. It's actually Jesus saying, I got nothing better to do. Neither do you. My, I have nothing. My time hasn't come. I got nothing to do. Let's do this. Jesus wanted to do this. He's not like disobeying. Mary's not disobeying him. And he's not being harsh to Mary about it. He, this is something he wants to do. So he turns the water into wine as his first sign. And I always wondered this if I was John, if I was writing the Gospel of John, this would not be the sign that I would pick to display as Jesus' first sign. Right? Anyone with me? I'd pick like a leper being healed, the dead girl being raised, which you see coming up. I was like, why would John pick this sign at a small wedding uh, when only a few people knew about it, Jesus turning the water to wine? So as we go through the seeing Jesus story, we have to understand we're seeing something about Jesus in this story. John put this in here on purpose to see Jesus. In fact, he picks it out of tons of other signs. In the end of John, in John 20, he writes, Jesus did way more signs than I could write down, but I've picked these so you may know that he is Christ. So this sign means something. So let's look at that meaning today. And this is what I get from this. This is what I'm taking from this. This is what I want you to take from this. Jesus isn't the end of the party. He's the beginning of the party. I think so many times we think Christianity is the party ending for us, right? You live a good life. You're partying. Everything's going well. And then you find Jesus and you're like, no, there's these rules I have to follow. It's not the ending. It's the party starting. Our life doesn't end when we become Christians. It begins when we become Christians. And this, hear me out, this is not, hey, if you're an alcoholic and you love drinking tons of wine until it runs out, keep drinking wine, that's fine with you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our life we live now, the world we're following now is cheap, watered-down wine, and Jesus is offering us something better. He's made something better for us. He's created a better place for us. I've had bad wine. Anyone here have really bad wine? This one time I was at a friend's house, everyone's like, what Ben drinks? Hey, fooled you. I was at a friend's house a long time ago, and he's like, my friend makes wine for a hobby. You want to have some? And I was like, sure. And he goes up on the shelf in his basement and pulls out this bottle of wine, and there's things floating in it. And I was like, well, what the heck? And so he poured it. It was vinegar. That is what the world is offering us today. Cheap, knockoff vinegar. And Jesus is saying, there's a better life for you in my kingdom. I've made something better for you. It's a better wine. Put down the things of this world. Put down the cup of the world and embrace my cup that's filled with joy and fulfillment and love and mercy. Because to be honest, we're always, it's a struggle. It's a, it's a human heart struggle. And we can see this back from the beginning. We're always going to think there's something better, right? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, sitting there, and the nice calm, there's no storms, there's no nothing. They got all these animals that are their friends, they can eat, it's not hard to work, it's not hard to have babies. And yet they're tempted by Satan who comes to them and says, you know what, this isn't all it could be. Why don't you do that tree? There's something better, you can become God. And that's 
the sin that's still in us, that's always going to be crying out that we can do this better. The, the Jewish people get out of Egypt from slavery, from chains, and they're in the desert being led by a cloud and a pillar of fire. There's manna raining from heaven. And they said, you know what? Egypt is better because at least we were fed better there. That is a sin of saying we could do something better. There's something better for us. And here, this verse is declaring today, Jesus is better. He's the better one. He's the better way. He's the better wine. He's better. I'm tired of drinking the wine of this world. I'm tired of thinking it's good for me. It's a cheap knockoff. It's $5 at Wegmans. I can buy it from Australia. Why, Martin, why is Australia wine cheap? Martin's family made wine, so I'm just asking him. But that's what we're drinking today, and Jesus is saying, I've created something so much better for you, a world so much better for you, that it's here. And I know what we're thinking. It doesn't seem that way, right? When I first became a Christian, and I read the Bible and looked up the rules I had to follow, like, I was like, I can't hit my brother anymore? I love hitting my brother and yelling at him. I remember this one time I was like on a streak of doing good. Like I came back from Acquire the Fire. Who's an Acquire the Fire person here? You ever want to Acquire the Fire? Uh, they don't do them anymore. But I was touched by the Lord. I think that's when I really was like, I should get saved now. And I was like, I'm going to do good for the rest of my life. I'm not going to argue with my brother. I'm not going to do anything, even though I loved hitting my brother. And uh, it was my birthday. We're twins, so it was his birthday too. And we we're setting up for like this birthday party that we're having at my house. And we we're setting up like this volleyball tent or volleyball net, and he is not doing it right. And something just started boiling in me. I was like, I'm going to hit this guy. And I yelled at him, hit him. And that's how I was like, man, is this the Christian life? Like, I just felt like dirty, ashamed after that. But that's not what the Christian life is. We view it as a set of rules. When Jesus set up a kingdom for us, even though it seems difficult, it's way better than you can imagine. They call it shalom, the peace of Christ. Like, it is a way you can enter into a better life of living, of a peace, more peaceful life that's different, that's countercultural from this world, and that involves following some rules. But when you're in that life and when you're following and living in the shalom of Jesus, the way the world's meant to be, the way heaven looks and the way heaven's supposed to look on earth, is a much better, more fulfilling life. And I promise you, even though you, you want to keep doing, living the way you're doing, the Christian life not the end of your party. It's the beginning of a much better one. He is better. His ways are better. And I love that we see that we have to follow what the servants do, right? What does Mary tell the servants? Do whatever he says. And so we're in this life and we're in this series called Seeing Jesus. And we're going to learn about all these things that Jesus is doing and if Jesus is doing it right, we should do it. Everyone agree? <laughs> if, if that's the guy we're following, that should be the guy we're following. And so when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary speaks to me and says, do whatever he says. Right? Beatles. This one math class or this one Bible class, me and our old pastor, Jared Ruddy, we went to the same high school. We decided to speak in Beatles lyrics to our teacher the whole time. It didn't go over well, but that's where I, got, I pulled it out of there. But do whatever Jesus says. As we go through this series, and this series is going to last us through Easter, so you've got a lot of stories of Jesus. Mary's words are wise words. Do whatever he says. And so in this, there's also these hidden things, these hidden clues I'm talking about. So we're going, 
how do we do this? How do we get to this better Jesus? How do we get to this better life, this better wine that Jesus has made for us? And simple, in, these, in this gospel, there's some hidden things about the good news of Jesus and how we get there. There's hidden things in this message. So if we look in this, and the first thing I'd like to point out about this is Jesus, instead of bringing to attention about what he's doing, about making the water to wine, he doesn't tell anyone. So who gets the glory out of this? Who do we see gets the glory out of this? The bridegroom. And this is such a great picture of Jesus that in our biggest moments of shame, he takes that away and still makes it our glory and doesn't tell anyone about it. We sang that song Defender last week. He goes before us and defeats things and does things for us and then calls it our victory. What could have been a shameful, terrible moment for that couple, Jesus turns into their glory, even though he did it. That's the good news of our gospel. Our shame, our past, whatever you've done, Jesus has taken that away and still made you look good in the outcome. And then also in here, he gives us a, there's a little hidden thing in here that John puts in here about how do we get to this table that Jesus, how do we get to this new feast? Jesus uses, it says here, there are six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. So if you don't know, in the Jewish culture, before you ate and after you ate your meal, you'd have to go out and wash your hands to be, be considered to come back to the table. They use this thing called a mikvah. It was in this pool, or it could be a lake. Whatever they deemed holy, uh, kosher back then, you would get the water from there and you would wash yourself. And they used it for purification rites for women too. You'd go dip yourself for men as well. And that's how you became holy. What does Jesus do? He says, you know what? I'm going to take care of that. I'm making wine in there. And what I see in that is the old ways, when we used to think, I have to make myself pure. I have to wash my hands to be invited to the table. I have to do all this. Jesus says, no, you don't. I did it. He turned the old system into a way of blessing for us, into a way of joy for us, and made it the new system. No longer do we have to work for it. No longer do we have to struggle. No longer is it about our good works about how holy we think we can make ourselves by purifying ourselves. Jesus is saying, I took care of it all. This is a picture, and John meant this, of the old way being gone, the old way of purification being gone, and Jesus offering a new wine, a new way of life, saying, I'm taking care of this. I'm doing this. So now the question isn't, how many good works do I have to do to get to Jesus? How many good works do I have to do to get to heaven, to this feast, this wedding feast? The question is now, will you come to the table? It's an invitation from Jesus. Just come to the table. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what your shame you're feeling, no matter if you don't feel holy or pure, Jesus is saying, hey, there's an open invitation here. There's a new way of life here. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I did it. I made the new wine. Just come, sit at the table, drink, feast, enjoy my kingdom. Jesus is the better way. I should get some good, happy, I can't see smiles because you're all wearing masks, but like, this is good news for us. So many times in my life, I've struggled thinking I've done something wrong, I can't approach Jesus, and Jesus is saying, there's no wrong that you can do where you can't approach me. I've taken care of it. 
the old way is gone of purifying and following all these rules and the new way is here and it's just acceptance for me and that's how we live our lives. It's so much easier to follow rules when you know the person that set the rules isn't mad at you when you break a rule, right? My parents raised me well. They punished me sometimes but at one point in their life they broke a spatula on me and I laughed and they stopped punishing me. And for some reason, I never did anything bad after that. I don't know why, because they couldn't even punish me. I was like, I like this. They're not punishing me. I'll live a good life. I'll be a good child. I don't get spanked anymore. That is what Jesus is doing. He's saying there's nothing you can do wrong. No shame of your past. No shame of your current situations. You're still invited to this table because I've taken care of it. Let's come to the table of Christ today. It's just an open invitation. If you're sitting here, if you're online watching right now and you're struggling with the thought of your past, of your present, of what, you're, what you've done this week, the table is still open for you. And he's offering you a better life. Jesus is better. He's better. We're sitting back, sipping down things of this world. There were one, how many people have chased after something from the world and then you think you have it and then you want something else, Right? I do that with shoes. I'm wearing another pair today, guys. But uh, I'm like, ooh, this is my last pair I'm buying because this will make me happy. And then I see a gold pair of Nikes. I'm like, I sent them to John Meshach over there. I said, hey, man, let's buy these shoes together. We can wear them together. And he's like, I don't have the money for that. And to be honest, I don't have the money for that either. But I was like, these gold shoes, I need them. They'll make me better. And that's what the world is doing. It's a constant chase down of something that will fulfill us and fulfill us and fulfill us and we're left unsatisfied every time because we're not drinking the real stuff. We are not drinking of Jesus. We are drinking of the world. I want to encourage you guys today. Put down the cheap wine of the world and pick up the wine of Jesus. Your life will be more joyful. Life will feel more fulfilled. It will get you through the hard times. It will get you through 2020. It'll get you through 2021 as we haven't seen a change much. But Jesus is the better way. You can long for something better, but if you don't turn to him for it, you're missing out on a better way, a better life. He is better. He is better. I don't know how much more I can say this today, but I'm going to keep saying it. He is better. Because we need to hear it over. I need to hear it over and over again. Like I said, I have a shoe problem. And my wife is the only one stopping me from buying more shoes. He's better than those gold Nikes I want that I will keep in a box and wear once a month on a Sunday. He's better than all my desires of a new job. And the best part is, like I said in the beginning, he doesn't stop your life. He adds to your life. He adds the better part to your life. We don't just stop living. It's not a dull life after we find Jesus. He wants you to do what you're doing. If you... Love your job. Jesus isn't calling you to quit your job. He's adding more to your job. He's fulfilling you in your job because you have something to work for. It's him. He is better. Worship team, if you want to come forward. I love how Jenna preached half my message today, so I get to preach the other half. And so I'm not going to say a comment I always say when I preach short messages. But uh, there's a feast waiting for us. There's a big feast waiting for us. In the end, if you actually read the end of the the Bible, Jesus loves feasting. He actually gets accused of being a drunkard 
and he gets accused of eating too much by the Pharisees because they think Jesus is not supposed to do that. And in the end of the story, at the very end, we are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, a new wedding feast that's going to last forever. I can't wait. There better be wings. And we're invited to that today. And even though it's the end, and that's going to be the fulfillment of everything, when we sit down and have the wedding feast of the Lamb, we can live that fulfilled life right now. It's here. It's available to us. It's better than anything the world could offer. It's better than anything we can make for ourselves. It's a better way of life. Jesus is better. It's not even close. Nothing compares to him. He is better. So let's, as we worship, you guys want to stand. As we worship today, it's an open invitation right now. If you're, if you're watching online, if you're here and you're struggling with the thought of coming to Jesus or you're struggling with the thought of this is better for me, if you're struggling with the thought of I can't come to him, I've done this, this and this and this and that wrong, invite him into your life, one, the pew is invited to the wedding, and then two, sit at his table, the better table. Drink his wine today, the better wine. He's offering it to you freely. He took your shame and made it your glory. What a good God we serve. He's better today. At the end of this chapter, in verse 11, it says, this, the first signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Today, we get to worship Jesus in his glory because we've seen all the signs. We've read all the signs. We know what he's done. We've had miracles in our life. We've had answers, prayers. If that doesn't lead to a glorification of, of him, we are doing it wrong. So today, as, as we worship in this closing song, Let's focus on his glory. Let's focus on what he's done and let's believe him and worship him because of that. And then let's take the cup of Jesus, the wine of Jesus, the better wine, and let's make that our way of life. It is a better way. It's a better party. Jesus does not end your party. He starts a better one. So I encourage you guys today as we worship, uh, as we close in worship, just to invite him in if you're afraid of him uh, and then come to his table. And if you're online today, you're watching and you're saying, I don't know what that looks like, message us. If you're, if you're questioning what it means to be saved, message us. We're, I'm always on Facebook, and so I can answer you. I won't, maybe not right away, but I'll find, I'll an, find you and answer you. So email us, message us. If you, if you want to make a dedication to, life, uh, to Christ today, invite him into your life. Let us know that. We want to celebrate with you. You're now part of the bigger plan, of the feast of the Lamb. So let me pray and we'll worship. Lord, we thank you today, God, for for making a better way of life, for making a new wine that we can drink, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here on this earth right now, that there is a better way. There is a better way of life that even in the midst of struggle of, of this year, of this of past year, Lord, we choose to drink your cup, not of the world. We choose you today, God, for you are better than anything the world offers. We give you glory today, God. We see what you're doing, what you have done. We worship you out of that position, Lord, because you're a good God. Let us come to your table today. Let us sit freely. Let us drink freely of your love, of your mercy. For you are better, God, than anything we can offer. 
anything the world can offer, anything, anything we can create, God. We worship you.